Uh, I, I may. I can't do it while we're recording, though. But um, we can heat it up in the microwave. We went to a uh, a local custard establishment for yes. lunch today, and I got uh, I got a double. I kind of I kind of blanked at how the f- the business flow there just just pissed me off. I, that I'll just round off. Silver metal building. Yes. Yes. And uh, very disappointed in the grease sponge of a burger that they gave me because by the time really? we got home and like re- when you go to reach in and you grab the bun and it instantly sinks into the meat because all the grease is soaked into the bun that's a far drive though to wait for a burger like I, to to get home you should have eaten it while you were there i kind of thought that's what we were doing but uh the boss had other ideas yeah but it wasn't what we did so let's start the show for those who do not know The biggest wrestling spectacular. Names from all over the country. Former champions, I've never seen anything like it. Eddie Graham, Florida Promotion. Vern Gagne, Superstar Billy Graham. Road Warriors, Mid-South Coliseum in Memphis, Tennessee. Bill Watts, Jerry Jarrett. Dory Funk, Harley Race, uh, Nick Bockwinkle. This is Cigars in Conversation with Derek St. Holmes, Esquire. Openings. A sensitive tale. A tale of introspection. Longing. <laughs> discovery. Shame. This is all going then excitement. Kyle, by the way. Yeah. That adds to it. It does. This is all going in the opening. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Cigars Conversations. Oh, yeah. I am your co-host, Jay Gilkay. <laughs> all right. Cigars and Conversations after dark. After dark. Bash after dark. Wait, you see this year's video. All right. Hello deep, and... Deep inside Cigars and Conversations. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Cigars and Conversations, brought to you exclusively by Astro Radio Z. And is it iTunes? Is it Apple Music? We don't know. I am your co-host, Jay Gilkay, and I am sitting here with a true raconteur in the world of professional wrestling. This man has shared the ring with a who's who of talent that has ranged from Hillbilly Hills to Rockin' Randy. A wrestler, manager, trainer, and a commentator who... uh. Kind of like the new Star Wars movie. Eh. eh, it was okay, I guess. I had problems with the science. And, uh, you know, he's going to run with it. Uh, my good friend, the one, the only, Derek St. Holmes Esquire. Hi. Another Hi. episode, and I completely forgot to bring our intro script. Fair enough. Um, I am starting running again, though. I have a uh, half marathon on the schedule, so I've started When's training that? for that. End of March. Oh, very nice. That'll be fun. So, yeah, it's interesting. I've um, started going to the gym a lot more, using the treadmill there as a tool to, like, get my pace down and stuff like that. How uh, I, I have broken. I've done one thing running for the first time since I started running. What's that? Started listening to podcasts while nice. I was running. I have a good one for you. Okay. Just remind me after this. Okay, fair enough. I don't want to plug them. Uh, fair, well, I don't know. I can plug them. Should I, I plug them? I, I, I don't 
You're like, I, you don't care. I, I'll send you the link to it, but I will tell you it's called as because I was listening to it on the way over here um, in the fortress of Kyle's house where nothing comes up. Um, Mine's called uh, Ono, Ross and Carrie. Oh, yeah. That yeah, was too. Of, the Scientology one is really. Oh, yeah. I already uh, went through all really that. Long. Now I just did their Tony Robbins one. Crime and sports. Look oh, at, yes. Yes. I've uh, already heard about yeah, that. Yeah. I've been listening to that, those a lot. Didn't didn't you send me the Buck Zumhoff one? No. That's what I'm listening to right no, now. No. Somebody else sent it to There's me. There's a. Uh, uh, oh, uh, uh, my Adams. friend Brian Adam, uh, Brian Johnson, the referee for Yeah, Rondo. BJ. Yeah. He, he sent it to me. Um, yes. BJ. I haven't heard um, Hard Body Harrison yet. Uh, so, how great is that guy? Not Hard Body Harrison. Uh, Brian Johnson, referee. Oh, uh, good friend. Yeah, of the good show. Guy. Good guy. What a great guy. I like. I like that guy. I miss that guy. Okay. Too many miles apart. And uh, congratulations on uh, children or the child and the family and all that great stuff. I just want to put it out there. He sent okay. me a text around the holidays telling me how much he. I mentioned we put him over. He'll love it. Yeah. Uh, he sent me a text. We still got to get that picture with the uh, Rocket Man in Wilmington. Yeah, that'd yeah. be excellent. Okay, um, he's good. I One like of these that. days, we have to write down all of the road trips that we've threatened to go on, and maybe actually go on one. That would be great. Yeah. Also, I want to give a, uh, I don't know, a shout out to uh, Ben, Jordan, and okay. Joey Eastman, and those guys. Oh, for, sure. They brought us up. Uh, yes. They were talking about Chris Colt, and they brought us up on uh, their <laughs> podcast which is great. We got heat. Listen to it. It's amazing. And it scares me. Yes, it does. Uh, Eastman is connected to Jeff Costa, who worked with Chris Colt. Yes. And like knows that like the sister person actually exists. And I don't know if you saw, but so I reached out to, what was it? Jeff Costa? Yes. I reached out to him. Lobster too. man. I looked, uh, I was looking through some of his pictures and he had a picture of himself holding up the Von Eric board game. Nice. So I said, thank you for your insight on Chris uh-huh. Colt. And by the way, you're not the only one with that relic. And I took a picture of me holding my board game and nice. put it on his page, which was cool. Then does that mean you guys are married or? Means nothing. He didn't oh, okay. reply. So oh, fair enough. <laughs> it doesn't matter though. It doesn't matter because he, he knows it. I got the board game. So deal with it. Um, also, if anyone out there has uh, like Sorry or Monopoly or any of those games, uh, you know, let me know. I'll take a picture with my Sorry or Monopoly and I will put a picture up on your Facebook page and say, hey, check it out. I got the game too. I believe I have a Jane's Velopoly, which was a local variant produced for my hometown. Do you know um, Do you know what the board game Barrister is? No. Board game Barrister is a gaming store here in Wisconsin. I don't know if it's, I think in it's Wisconsin. just Wisconsin, oh, right? Oh, okay. I do have a story about this. And Go so ahead. they have all, they sell f- from, you know, cribbage boards and all kinds of card games sure. and all that stuff and all like the, like Magic the Gathering. And so my mom taught me a game called Super Samba, where you use six decks of cards and you have to, you're holding like 30 cards in your hand. You have to have this tray so you can actually manage what you're doing. Okay. So my son and I walk in there and I've got a picture of the tray on my phone. And I said, Hey, do you have a card tray that hold, you know, can hold cards for like more advanced, like kind of uh-huh. more in depth games? And uh, this girl is like, Oh, I've never heard of that before. And then this guy with a fake British accent that works there comes nice. up and goes, I've worked here for two years. I've never heard of anything like that. And I'm like, Well, here, let me show you a picture of it. I have it on my phone uh-huh. because I was trying to, uh, you know, be at a local business rather than just go on Amazon and order right, right. it would take me two seconds. But I'm like, look, I'm going right, to check right. it out. I get it. And as I'm bringing up the picture, the guy walks away 
And then the girl looks, she goes, oh my gosh, yeah, that's really cool. I'll have to order something like that. And she's looking at it and she's like, oh yeah, I'll have to check because that would be neat. I'm sure people would definitely buy those. Uh-huh. And my son standing by me uh, says, and the girl walks away and he goes, what's up with that guy? And the guy looks up from the counter at us, like kind of looks up. And I look right at him and go, yeah, fuck that guy. <laughs> and we just walked out of the board game barrister. And that was my story. And the lesson was but taught. Listen, I'm telling you, there's a goddamn card rack out there. Don't try to big time me with your fake British accent. You're working at a retail store. You know, like you're not the, the Duke of uh, Earl Earl or <laughs> Dorchester or Fate <Hey>, Daddy. Ah. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, come Let on, me guy. tell you something. It was a real it really pissed me off. I was really angry about that. Did you have something to say about the board game barrister? I don't know if it was the board game barrister, but uh, for one of the first couple of months. And Mondo I feel like shows, an asshole saying that, by the way. Like, yeah. I went to the board game barrister. Yeah. There was a board game shop in Bayview cool that one time I asked my girlfriend, I'm like, oh, what is that? She's like, oh, that's a, it was by where the Jimmy John's was. Yeah, yeah. I said, oh, that's a board game shop that, you know, people can go play and everything. And I was, at that point, what was it, 08, 09, sure, whatever, yeah. I'm just like, a board game store survives the recession? Right. Like, how did that get through? And stayed open for several more years. And then, that, now, I then that big, that corporation known as the board game barrister yeah, swept across the land and cleared out all the little men. Oh, uh, just followed Vince McMahon's example. That's true. Uh, if I were to open a board game store, I would just call it I'm Bored. <laughs> Kyle like that. <laughs> Kyle's already got, Kyle's got, got money out of his pocket got a already. Pop from Kyle, right there. That was that's pretty good. good. See, that's what I would call my star. I'm bored, nice and easy. But that's what I think of when I'm planning my revenge on that guy. Yeah. <laughs> it's not over. Okay. Sorry. Hey, speaking of being over, you get him, Tiger. Yes. Um, speaking of uh, being over, and by over, I don't mean over like over. I mean over like done. Okay. Uh, Houston Wrestling, now defunct. Uh, this was uh, brought up by Brad Drake, one of our one of our fans. Who is this guy? Brad Drake. He's a fan of ours on the Facebooks. I know. Do you know him personally? Yes. How do you know him? Uh, he and his brother Jeff Drake ran the I eight promotion in the Chicago area in the early two thousands. They were known okay. for having the I eight tournaments, and they ran at the Willowbrook. The Arabian Willowbrook Arabian Horse Farm. Oh wow! Yeah, so they ran it like it, it primarily a horse farm. We got to dress upstairs, but you had to walk through the stable areas to get. They to the book way. you on their shows. Uh, yes, I was brought in once. Uh, Ace Steeler requested to work me because he he was like a defending champion of this tournament, but they brought him in, but didn't have a match for him in the tournament. So they called me like, "Hey, Ace wants to work you." I'm like, "Yeah, sure." Okay. And ever since then, you've had a friendship. Uh, yes, and then they were involved in AAW for the longest time. So, like, I've been involved. I okay. was regularly ran circles with them for six, seven years. Very nice. So it's nice that. You so now he uh, follows us on the Facebooks, and a uh, question came up on a match from Houston Wrestling, and so somebody else put on, "Oh, I'd love to learn more about the Houston territory," and I had to be kind of a nerd and point out, "Hey, Houston was only one city." Right as opposed to a territory, and that's what led to this. Well, then go ahead and tell us all about it. I'm like, oh, okay. You're like, jeez, why so angry, right? Well, I was just giving him a, a voice. Says there. the guy that said fuck you to the board game barrister guy. <laughs> I did, uh, right? when, I, when I finally got rid of my storage garage, I did get rid of some of my that old... That seems redundant. 
got rid of my storage, storage garage. Rack. Yeah, because I had one a in Janesville from when I originally moved. And I had some uh, role-playing game materials, including this one game called Magic Realm, which apparently was big in that time. Okay. And uh, so there was a place called like Knights Games or something in Janesville that bought old games of this nature. So I tried to bring it in there. And uh, I was just kind of taken aback at, for lack of attention, the level of uh, unapproachable nerddom that I was approached with at the store. Oh, yeah. Where yeah. I had called them and said, hey, I'm bringing this in. I want to sell it. I'd looked on their site. So I had some, you know, some stuff to, right. like, like a range or whatever. And this guy, this, this gruff looking guy with a beard, just like, well, we got to get this other guy to look at it, but he's on lunch right now. Suddenly the door kicks open from out of the back room. This like troll looking guy just comes up, doesn't say hi, just starts tearing apart the thing, blah, 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 blah looking at everything. I'm like, uh, hello. Right. You know, just, hey, here's, here's, are you the guy I'm waiting for? Or are you just some guy that's going through this stuff? And they wound up underpaying me for it, but it was off my. Right. That was his off your it. hands. Yeah. Right? Yeah. But I mean, but seriously though, what's the fuck is up with these board game guys, right? Yeah, it's like eh. Jesus Christ. Seriously, I just figure gonna... it's one of those deals where they're probably into the board games, so they don't have to deal with people. Yeah, I guess. Of but, course, we but are you're playing uh, board games with people. We aren't are you? we are doing a podcast about wrestling, so you know, wrestling fans aren't exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I've taken to not let like well, people. Uh, it'll come up in conversation sometime. Like even today, we were at a little get together with friends and. Right. I'm like, I got to bail. And they're like, oh, what do you do? I'm like, oh, we got to go record the podcast. I'm like, you do a podcast? I'm like, yeah. They're like, yeah. what's it about? I'm like, yeah. <laughs> Wrestling. <laughs> I'm like, it's, it's, we're okay. That sounds fun. Yep. Right. And it's like, Okay, got to go. People listen? I hope. I don't know. Maybe. Yeah, I guess. We have a Facebook page. Like, that's my answer. Yeah. Like, we no... have a Facebook page. And like, oh, really? Like, that is validating the fact that, <laughs> that we sure. do it. Huh, yeah, so, um, and then they ask, like, well, what are you talking about today? I'm like, you see, like, Houston wrestling. And they're like, who's that? And I'm like, yeah, see, right there. See, I wouldn't problem. even have got that detail. I just say, oh, we discuss regional wrestling. Probably. I always tell, like, people that are truly um, interested in it, uh-huh. I always say to them, try the bear episode. Yes, yeah, I put them in at the bears, I too. Put, I say wrestling bears is the episode. I'm like, go to that, because I think that one you'll understand. Uh, it on. was put forth by Sweet Willie T that our first two episodes, where we covered all the territories, yeah. were a bit thick for people to take up front. Sure. But now it's, it, it's understood how we had to set it up so that people understood what we were talking about now. Right. So we kind of... May have put the cart before the horse, but I think I think it's smoothed out enough now that I could say, "Hey, you could right. jump on anywhere." I think we uh, I think we laid down a very thick foundation. Yeah, at the beginning, it is pretty thick around here. And then I think that from there we, uh, yeah, it took off and just kind of um, in yeah. just a fabulous way where we get to meet cool people like Brad Drake. You know who else is thick? Who? Jack Husky. <laughs> still that is a, still a great it's name. an awesome name anyway houston wrestling um real quick uh still Jack i Husky? had three guys contact me about sterling illinois and i i told them listen the first one of you guys i can get the name on a bill somewhere by all means go for it okay so sterling illinois big heel in wisconsin could be go for it uh why don't they just call funky monkey i don't even know what that means oh that's the promotion out there funky monkey wrestling in Sterling, Illinois? Yes. Okay. 
I don't listen, man. I don't know this. Okay, stuff. well, you can tell me what match I worked, but never mind. It's all about. I just you. don't. I just don't pay attention to anything. I, I I'm aware of that. Yeah. Yes, I'm. You know, I I hear you. Uh, speak, let's go, John. Let's do it. Um, so Houston wrestling. Should we start like way at the beginning, like back at the start of time? There was World War One, and Houston wrestling <laughs> came about. The Seagulls, any of that? Does that? Do you want to do that, or do you just want to go in at the Paul Bosch era? Well, we start off with the Morris Siegel was uh, the regional promoter in in Houston, Texas, um, and at that time, before the NWA had been codified and everything, it, it was he was a regional promoter. And he, but he still had his lines with other people because they had the shuffle talent around. Sure. So he built wrestling up into a, you know, wrestling powerhouse, quote unquote. It was wrestling was huge in that city, very similar to what Sam Muchnick later did in St. Louis. Gotcha. So it's like so, the Southern St. Louis. Yeah, yeah, and that's that's what it's important to remember that Houston was never like you didn't go to Houston. You didn't say you were going to Houston. You said you were going to Texas. Okay. Because Houston was then pulled into the booking offices in Texas, where it was a central booking office based in Dallas, Fort Worth. Now we're skipping we're skipping a lot and summarizing here because it's late. Yes. Um I was held up today because we were watching we were marathon watching hoarding bearing buried alive. Great show. And we had just started the uh, cockroach episode. Hey, and before we get we're going to go way off topic yes. here, but I've got to say this. Anybody listening, I can't stress this enough. See the movie Brawl in Cell Block 99. Check it out. It is amazing. Okay, sorry. Okay. So Morris Siegel uh, established wrestling as one of the, the prominent wrestling cities in the U.S. Yes. So he would have been in contact with... Fred Kohler and you know all the other national national wrestling, but wrestling in Texas was brought up as a very strong regional territory, uh, very strong in that it had regular bookings. Obviously, workers would get ripped off in anything. Uh, Paul Bosch was. Can a, I ask a question? Sorry, before you sure. get into Paul Bosch, because talking about Siegel, because uh, it was him and his brother too, right? Like was it Julius, I think, or someone like that? It was like they were both, but the Seagulls yes. were that. S i e g e l, not seagull, as in wrestlers, as in flock of. Yes. Um. So, the, the Houston promotion was around from the time of like World War One, so like late twenties. Is that common for uh, any kind of promotion slash territory? I guess were they coming to fruition? Were they coming up? Were all different kinds of promotions coming up at that time? Was this very? Was this like one of the first ones? Where I well, mean, see now this is a. I'm glad you asked this because this is a question I've never been able to figure out. It just seems like wrestling was always there, yeah, like everywhere. Even researching Milwaukee, like, oh, that was a Ganya territory. Well, who had it before the Ganyas? Yeah, like, well, what? that was Fred Kohler. Well, who had it before him? Oh, well, it was these guys out of Racine, and uh, that's one thing I've never been able to like codify or trace it back what is to the start where, yes where, does it where start? did it start all the history books always say that well you know it always existed in some form but then it started to become fake quote-unquote around the civil war and stuff like that sure so like wrestling let's not forget frank gotch was like the world champion in the early 1900s so even pre-world war one right um 
so that's one thing I have not been able to trace back, but I, I don't know if it's possible, but much like AIDS with patient zero, it's like trying to trace back wrestling to the first time that it became a show or whatever sure. like that. No, and I think, but I think that's different than trying to trace it back to the first promoter. Yeah. See, it, I don't know how that would have worked because was were they with the vaudeville and then how right, did and then it just kind of like grew out of that like organically came out of that yeah see that's one thing i've never been able to figure out right um <laughs> i'll bet you a the research does exist but b it would be such thick heavy reading and you would have to do so many in between the line inferences sure, that would I be bet. damn near impossible to figure, figure it, out. it out. Right. But I'm sure that some historians, I'm sure the information is out there. I do have, um, oh, forgive me. What's the guy, the historian out of California. He wrote the Strangler Lewis book. I don't know. I'm sorry. He's on wrestling classics. I'll think, I'm sure I'll think. Sure. Of it later. Yeah. Um, but I mean, the history does go back and I'm sure, there are like histories of wrestling in the 1800s. Like, but even then they talk about, well, this was an area promoter that promoted wrestling. Right. So that's one thing I could never understood was, was it wrestling first promotion second, or did somebody just try to fill a building and wrestling was part of that? And then they grew into a wrestling promoter. Right. I've never been able to figure that out. Yeah, no, it's a, a that is a very murky area yes. in covering all that stuff. So, so Houston there was the Big Bang. The Seagulls, there was the right, Big Bang. Right. The Earth cooled. Morris Siegel promoted wrestling in Houston. <laughs> right. Became friends with Paul Bosch. Uh, but no, but well, before we get onto this, it was because of his promotional efforts that people like Dizzy Davis and Gorgeous George, who grew up in the Houston Galveston area, yeah. would have become wrestling fans. And then they, in turn, became the next generation of stars. Okay. So Morris Siegel is promoting in Houston. Paul Bosch is a young wrestler from Texas that uh, is in the Navy. Okay. Uh, has has spect spectacular naval career. Um, kind of skipped over all that. I don't want to confuse him with Lord James Blears. But uh, was wrestling in New York in the 30s. Okay. With such luminaries as Stu Hart. Oh, really? Okay. And, and, and you know, so he, they yeah. were all part of that trained in Bothner's gym. And so they would have been working for like Cola Quarinari and and uh, people prior to that. Sure. Um, so Paul Bosch came up, came through the ranks as a wrestler. You know, did did whatever territories or whatever regions that area, and then settled in Houston and worked as Morris Siegel's. You know, worked in the office. Okay. Until Siegel finally retired, and then Paul Bosch took over the office. Was he still wrestling at the time? Bosch. Yeah. Yes. There's a there's a famous story that Thez tells when he was in when he was when he was champion at one time he was very ill and was sent through Houston to you know he wanted to do a five minute match but they uh, gave him long matches every night to tire him out and then he had a match with Paul Bosch in Houston where Paul tried to pull a double cross and punch him out and take the title oh wow but okay. Lou was able to shake off the punch and get his stuff back and then. What is it? The story goes, took Bosch down, clamped him in the STF and cranked it on and just said, you see where those ropes are? As far as you're concerned, they're as far away as China, <laughs> you know, just to teach him a lesson. So he had been, you know, he was a trusted partner of the Houston Territory. Okay. And then gradually took over as the city promoter. Didn't he get injured at some point, though? 
Wasn't there a... Sure. I could have sworn that I feel like I remember reading that at some point he was injured and that's what forced him out of the business. Uh, it may have been a knee thing. I don't remember off the top of my head. Can you look that up, Kyle? <laughs> just just type in Houston Wrestling and see what comes up and see if it says anything about Paul Bosch getting injured. B-O-E-S-C-H, I believe. I think, yeah, if you even just did Houston Wrestling, uh, I'm sure something will... Now we're just skipping ahead. Paul Bosch takes over, becomes a respected promoter, but also uh, develops a great reputation among the business. How so? Uh, the, the Houston business area. Uh, being honorable, honoring all his debts. Like he went above and beyond to make wrestling respectable, much like Sam Muchnick did in St. Louis, whereas other promoters like the Gullises in Tennessee and everything were kind of shady and, okay, and, yeah, and yeah. backstage. Was he? Is that what you're saying? He was injured in the war. Yeah, I believe his. Uh, he's awarded numerous decorations, including the Purple Heart. He had a Purple Heart. Yes. Star with oak leaf clusters. Oak leaf clusters on a Purple Heart. Wait, no, on a what? A Silver Star. Silver Star. Same with the Bronze Star and. Bronze Star. What about a Brown Star? Some French thing too. He joined the French Legionnaires. We're really getting off topic. Sorry, we're just trying to figure it out. I thought there was somewhere where he was wounded, but maybe it was me. So anyhow, so yes, please go on about Paul Bosch. Had cauliflower ears. Oh, there we go. Paul Bosch injured in a car accident in 1947. Forced him to retire from performing. There you go. Thank you. Went to work in the office. Yes. So sorry if that threw you off, Derek. That's fine. I just I only read the later stuff. Sorry to prep. I didn't, I didn't, because we had to wind him into being right, you know, right. synonymous with Houston wrestling. So he was essentially the local promoter for Houston through the glory days, quote unquote, of wrestling. Sure. Houston, as it as we've said before, especially when Bosch took over, Houston was part of the Texas booking office, which also included Dallas, Fort Worth, El Paso, uh, Amarillo. All sharing talent. Yes, all sharing talent out of a central booking office. So. Uh, like they would be in Houston once a week or once every two weeks. So they shared not only the talent, but they shared schedules as well, right? So these guys would make sure they were doing the loop with all the different towns. Yes, but I want to say they were part of the Texas booking office, but what made Houston so uh, renowned on its own was Bosch would also book outside talent. Oh, okay. So it wasn't the same card traveling around the territory. Yeah. And what the secret at the time before the Von Erichs hit to get into Texas was you wanted to get on Bosch's cards because you would make subsistence wages in all the other cities, but then when you hit Houston, that's where you made your grocery money for the oh, month. Oh, okay. So you always, and he was known as being an honest promoter to the boys. Now, some later stories have come up that he may have been cutting back the houses like every promoter did, sure, but yeah, it generally had a very good reputation among the boys. And um, so that was going to be my question. So if guys, guys could maybe be... Working Houston, but not working a Dallas. Like they could cool guys off and like heat guys up and bring them in, like limit them in certain areas. Would they do that out of the central booking office? Well, Bosch could. Bosch had his his thumbprint on on Houston, so he knew what was going to work for Houston. 
ran his own TV as well, so he could run his own angles. Yeah. So he could use the the talent that was in the Texas wrestling office because they were off that night, but he would often supplement that by bringing in somebody from the WWF or WWWF back then, yeah. somebody from the AWA. Uh, he was able to mix and blend talent in his in his town mm-hmm. and uh, basically control the, the message there. Oh, okay. Gotcha. So... Uh, recently on YouTube, a lot of Houston footage has surfaced because that's what was previously on the NWA On Demand channel. Okay. So now a lot of that is on YouTube, but all of that was this singular city and everything that Paul Bosch put together there. So that's why you saw some of these lineups Yeah. that you wouldn't see anywhere else on the Texas circuit. Oh, okay. That makes sense. Then. Yeah. So Paul was essentially a single promoter that was able to mold his city to what his vision of wrestling was. He was affiliated with his other office, but was free to use everything else. Now, he would bring in this other talent, but his agreement with the Texas booking office was he had to pay 25% of his house to the booking office. Ah, okay. So So I guess then my question would be, when you think about Texas as a whole... um, Oh, we're skipping over a little bit. Oh, sure, yeah, we'll get back to it. But when we're thinking about Texas as a whole, and you... You brought it up where you say like Houston was not a territory, and I get that. Was everything else in that office considered a singular territory, or were they all separated just like Houston was? Uh, I think San Antonio was different with Blanchard. Okay. Uh, I guess I I don't have a definitive answer for you because I'm I'm more familiar with the the Tennessee territory or, right. or our local territories, but I'm not a hundred percent sure how it worked around the Texas area. Okay. I don't know if they bicycled a tape or they had different television in each town. Well, it seems a, like it would be very, uh, logistically difficult to have ter- TV in each town. town but right. Who right. knows? I think too, um, that states like Florida, California, Texas, are those weird um, anomalies when it comes to states where they're so large that you would you'd almost be able to have, say, a, uh, a individual city be its own stand on its own because otherwise it's just too large. Because a lot of those other territories that we've discussed, the Florida's the uh, uh-huh. Florida, the Memphis, like the Carolinas, things like that, the way that they're all they were grouped together, they were at least close enough that they could carry a large area of multiple states or multiple areas and work together where it seems like Houston, some of the the way Texas is spread out, you have all the different cities and you're able to kind of work independently of the other ones and not, Oh, okay. Not overlap, not like overlap with your, your talent or your stuff or whatever it would be. Now what we're skipping over here is, uh, at some point, Morris Siegel and Ed McLemore in Dallas. Uh, there was a struggle there to see who was going to be the central booking office in Texas. Okay. And where uh, is McLemore based out of? McLemore is based out of the Sportatorium. So he's out of the Sportatorium. Okay. Uh, so there was a question. There, there was a wrestling war at, of sorts at the time between McLemore and Siegel, which McLemore wound up winning. Okay. So Dallas Fort Worth became the head of the territory and Houston was forced to be second place. Oh, okay. So Houston was uh, indebted to Dallas but was not happy about it. Sure. And this later boiled up to the tension between Paul Bosch and the booking office in Dallas, especially for the shows in Houston, because 
running the central booking office, you expect to be able to tell your guys you have to be in these right, you know, right. these six cities at this time. And all these guys want to be in Houston, but then when the booker calls up Houston and says, hey, who do you need for this show? Well, only send me these four guys because I have all these other people coming in. Right. So the office makes its money, but the booker, the boss, has to go to these other people and say, hey, you know that big payday you were working on? Well, I've got you in Abilene that night. Oh, right. You know, right. So you're making $75 instead of so was a there grand. backlash on Bosch or Siegel or whoever when they were doing... When they were bringing in talent from outside the state, cutting down on the amount of work being offered to guys coming out of that booking office. Does that make well, sense? Well, you have to go up to Bosch doing it because when Siegel and Macklemore had it, that was kind of pre oh, that was the pre area the, we're that, talking okay. about. But so Bosch, would that... Would well, you there say was... Uh, it, it doesn't go in a straight line. It kind of turns into a V. Okay. Because the owner of the booking office, in this case Fritz von Erich, was still getting his twenty five percent of the house in Houston. Regardless of who was brought in. Regardless of who was brought in. Yeah. So yeah, so if Bosch ran a show and he brought in te- like it, Well, weird, there's a good but... match. He brought in here's all the Texas talent. He brought in superstar Graham versus Ivan Putsky. Right. Because he wanted to see a match of the muscle guys. Yeah. And then so they were out in the summit or whatever in Houston, and all of a sudden they noticed that there was cameras filming the the matches, and they saw themselves on the big, you know, the big jumbotrons or whatever they had at that time. They stopped their match and started having a pose down. Ah, gotcha. Uh, Paul Bosch was getting frustrated at this because nothing was happening. He turned to Gary Hart, who was the booker for the Texas office, said, "You make them do something." And Gary Hart looks at him and says, "I didn't book this match. You booked it. Right. You right. figure it out." Right. You know. Yeah, that's pretty crazy. And then every time uh, Hart would bring up, hey, we have to use these guys from the Texas booking office, Bosch would counter with, I'm already paying you guys 25% of my house. Do you want to tell me how to do everything else? Oh, yeah. You know, so it yeah. was a real bitchy little. Right, getting real contentious yeah, as yeah. it went on. Um, because Siegel, Siegel was kind of hurting from this being aced out of the, the, yeah. the Texas office. Now, Ed McLemore was later taken over slash sold out to Fritz von Erich. So that's how that lineage happened. There. Okay, gotcha. That's uh, um, Ed McLemore is the one that built the original Sportatorium in the early 30s, and then it got burned down in the 50s, and then... Wow. Yep. I forgot about that. Cigars and Conversations presents Mailbag. Dramatic readings of fan letters culled from the pages of classic wrestling magazines. These letters are from the February 1992 Pro Wrestling Illustrated issue. Forget it, Sarge. An open letter to Sergeant Slaughter. So, now you apologize? Now you're back to being the, quote, real American hero? Now you want your country back? Well, listen up, pal. It's too little. It's too late. You turned your back on us at a time when you were most needed as a role model for those serving in the Persian Gulf. But instead, you embraced the Iraqi way. You spit on your country. You spewed the praises of Saddam Hussein. Now, you want forgiveness? 
after your troops, General Adnan and Colonel Mustafa, have abandoned you? You are nothing but a lying coward. And just as you spit on us when we needed you, we shall spit on you when you need us. If you really want your country back, Slaughter, go to Iraq, where you really belong. Because the United States doesn't want or need a traitor like you. And since Hussein lost the war, it looks like you're the prime candidate for his job, scumbag. Jason Ward, Vancouver, Washington. New blood. I recently attended the IWF television taping at Universal Studios in Orlando, Florida. This new federation has great talent, like Mondo Clean, who's their champion, tag team champions The Bad Boys, TV champion Cliff Anderson, Dynamite Dennis Allen, Lou Perez, Terry Davis, and the incredible Thor. This is a very exciting federation with a lot of potential. Dan Smith, Summers Point, New Jersey. Johnny be bad. Your press conference is my favorite feature in the PWI, which is why I was so disappointed when you did the December 1991 issue that had that blowhard Johnny be bad. The man has absolutely nothing to say. Okay, okay, he can wrestle, that's for sure, but no one's going to listen to him seriously unless he starts to act a little bit more dignified. You know, of course, it doesn't help that his manager is peanut head Teddy Long. Teddy got lucky with Doom, that's for sure, but that's all he's done. Both he and Bad should hit the road and leave us alone. Charles Hill, Cheyenne, Wyoming. Lightning Strikes. The Lightning Kid is the future of wrestling. Well, he may be smaller than Lex Luger, Sid Justice, or Hulk Hogan, but he will dominate the light heavyweight ranks from now until the end of time. Let's see a feature story about the kid. How about a PWI? Long live the kid. John Canta, Ardmore, Pennsylvania. Cheap shot. On a recent installment of WCW main event, Robert Gibson and Dustin Rhodes were wrestling Steve Austin and Diamond Stud. Jim Ross, who was raving about Dustin's talent, took a cheap shot at WWF world champion Hulk Hogan by saying, Wrestling is more than ripping off your shirt and posing. Hogan happens to be the greatest champion ever, Mr. Ross. If I were you, I'd lay off the cutdowns. Aaron Morales, Amarillo, Texas. It doesn't compute. Apparently, Miss Alexandra York received a bad stockbroker tip when she decided to form the trio of Terrence Taylor, Richard Morton, and Thomas Rich. Taylor has a personal identity crisis, not knowing whether he is a rooster, a fan favorite, or a rule breaker. And as for Morton and Rich, both these men belong in old rags. They're aging rockers who no longer possess the skill they once had, and they certainly do not have the killer instinct a successful rule breaker needs. York has an unusual fascination with confused and washed up wrestlers, it seems. I believe her computer program has a severe virus. You don't need a computer to see this is one investment leading you to the poorhouse. Dave Shamanic, 
Johnson City, New York. Sick of Sid. Justice will be served. Those are four words I am sick of hearing. What gave Sid Justice the idea that he would be so great of a protector for the WWF? It looks and sounds like the WWF is trying to shove justice in our faces. Maybe they're trying to make him popular so we can take Hulk Hogan's place when the mighty pukester retires. Sid, you once dominated everybody you faced, except for Sting and the Steiners, of course. Now, here's the Hogan clone who will never win a world title. Sid Justice in the WWF? Huh, what a sorry pair. Chris Holmes, Tulsa, Oklahoma. So at this point, though, so Bosch is basically, he's got all kinds of, he's working with, again, Texas talent, but he's working with stuff coming in. Were there any, um, besides the typical Texas guys, was there anybody that he would bring in on a regular basis that was synonymous with Houston wrestling that wasn't based out of Texas? Uh, not that wasn't based out of Texas, but he was a big one for using Bull Curry. Okay. Uh, Wild Bull Curry. And there's another story where he booked Bull Curry against a match with Bruiser Brody. Okay. Because he wanted to see a battle of the the tough guys. Yeah. But Hart and other people tried to tell him, don't book this match because Brody is not going to lay down for a 60-year-old man. Right. But Bosch still said, well, we'll just see what happens there. So Brody beat the hell out of a 60-year-old man. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, because neither one of them wanted to sell. Yeah. And Brody was at that point in time, Brody wasn't going to look weak, especially for an older guy. Does footage of any of that stuff exist? Uh, no, the only wrestling footage or the, the Houston footage that exists is this NWA on demand stuff, yeah. but the Brody Curry match doesn't exist. Uh. There was a DVD that put out recently called the Houston wrestling spectacular, which had a lot of these matches on there, which has a 1967 match between bull Curry and Johnny Valentine. Oh, okay. Which is just, just the slightest possible touch of what Johnny Valentine was capable of. Because you can see it in this match. Sure, but, like what? Explain. Uh, just the the methodical, realistic way that he would work. Yeah. And it's so frustrating to see one match because, like, this is what I would I would love to see, like, a month or a two month or a three month run of Johnny Valentine. Yeah. You know, which doesn't exist. Right. But still, it's good stuff. Yeah. That's so. Yeah. How much does exist of Johnny Valentine? Not a lot. Not a lot at all. I only right. know what's on YouTube, and you can search that as easily as I can. Right, right. So, But it's still definitely nothing that's true. Right. Um, how did they work? Do you know how they worked the championships when it came to Texas as far as was in Houston, of course, was its own singular being? Well, this is a, this is a good question Thank here. Thank you. <sighs> Not even scripted, to be honest. Yes. Well, Houston was associated with the Texas Wrestling Office. Yes. Which was affiliated with the NWA. Right. So Houston would use the NWA champion. Okay. Uh, for whatever reasons we will get into soon, they eventually switched over to the AWA champion. Ah, okay. And then, and then back to the NWA, and then we'll see what happened. And after I guess that maybe that's that's the point to get to is the fact that like, because this is the thing that struck me when doing research for this uh -huh. and, and reading about it, I thought it was. It seems like uh, Bosch had a, a pro not a problem, but business dealings going bad. 
misunderstandings on how business should be done with other uh, groups that he ended up getting in bed with mm-hmm. um, ended up really being the thing that was the thorn in his side. And I think ultimately his trouble, right? Like, well, or, and not so much his trouble, but his hill to die on was Houston wrestling. Right. He right. didn't necessarily care what was going on anywhere else. He wanted to take care of his town. Yeah. And he had built up goodwill with the fan base, goodwill with the business world, and anything that threatened that, he took personally and took steps to correct that. Uh, Now, what we're getting to here, uh, he had difficulty with no-shows by the NWA champion. Right. Uh, There was one card. Well, he would get in trouble for booking cards like this. He had a card scheduled that featured the WWF champion in a match the AWA champion in a match, and the NWA champion in a match. Did all those promotions realize that this was happening, or did they just send, or like like up leading up to it, they'd book their guy, and then somewhere down the road realize this is what he was planning, and they didn't like that? Well, it, the NWA had a problem with it. The yeah. AWA didn't have a problem with but it. But they never because worked each other. It was they, always like spotlight matches of each one. Correct. So Bosch would do things like this and then wax over the microphone, oh, how great it would be if the three champions could get together and we could figure out the true heavyweight champion. Sure. This went against the NWA bylaws where they were only supposed to recognize the NWA champion as the first champion. Right. So that's what led to heat with NWA promoters, but... Bosch didn't care because he was doing what was best for Houston. Yeah. He didn't care about the rest of the world. So he had he had this huge card scheduled, and because it was such a big card, he scheduled it at 3 p.m. So went through the match. Uh WW or Bruno San Martino defended against like Gorilla Flores or some okay. you know, there was a match, but yeah, right, right. You know, whatever. It wasn't a top contender. Uh, I want to say Nick Bockwinkle defended his title against one of the Guerreros, but then all of a sudden they're getting ready for Terry Funk to go against the NWA champion. Harley Race is a no-show. Ah, okay. So Bosch, uh, <laughs> I want to say he opened up the the wallet a little bit more and approached Bockwinkle, but at some point in this timeline, which we'll have to figure out, Bockwinkle buys into part of Houston as his prospective retirement plan. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, so Bockwinkle was very tied up in the Houston office, which which will lead to some stuff that we see later. So he asked Bockwinkle to defend his AWA championship again. So he went to a 20-minute match with, I believe, one of the Guerreros and then went another hour with Terry Funk that night to work twice on the same card. Jesus. So the card lets out at 6 p.m. People are walking out, and all of a sudden, who comes walking in but Harley Race, who had it in his book that he just had Houston but didn't have it down. It was an afternoon show. He thought it was an evening show. Yeah. So there's a problem with an NWA no-show there. At a second point, he's having a show, and Harley just blows up, like has trouble with his plane or whatever. Yeah. can't make it in. So at that point... Bosch kind of blows a gasket, and to save the town that night, reschedules his card and uh, decides to have a world heavyweight tournament in Houston, which is won by Wahoo McDaniel. Oh, okay. So Wahoo was recognized as the world champion in Houston until they could unify that back up with who? Nick Bockwinkle, Bockwinkle. because 
Bosch, because of these do no shows by the NWA and no consequences, you know, yeah. being paid, decides to switch his business allegiance over to Vern Gagne in the AWA, and which so was are, a singular entity, but took over, you know, over right. a quarter of the state. Are they or a quarter of the country? How are they finding out about Bachwinkle? How is Houston as a city? Houston wrestling fans finding out about Bachwinkle to make him a legitimate, and we know he's a champion. Right. We know him as AWA. They're not getting AWA TV in Houston. No. They're getting the just like footage that Houston TV is putting on and saying, "Here comes the AWA champion." Correct. Okay. Gotcha. Correct. So the the people where they were previously educated to the NWA title being the top prize, now that got switched over to the AWA being the top prize. Now, even though that TV wasn't on because of mentions on mentions on the television show and mentions in wrestling magazines, the the fans know that these other leagues exist and these right. are the world champions of other leagues. Yeah. So they they're aware of that. And so, okay, but but they're fi- it's kind of like. It's still a title belt no matter what. It's a champion. Right. They like to see that right. kind of thing happen. Um, did Bosch, too, when he was doing television, was he setting up when it came to the no-shows? I'm sure he had these things probably set out months in advance, right? right. And that right. was the because he was a good businessman. Right. I believe reading that and like he would set, and that's why he never wanted to screw over the fans or never wanted to lie to the fans. Wasn't a big card subject to change type guy. No. Wanted everything to be solid. And then when the NWA had some of these no-shows, it was almost like damaging to his character. And to exactly. The, to he Houston took it wrestling. very personal because this, yeah. was his, this was his product and Houston was his baby. So once they recognized Bachwinkle, then that was it. NWA was out. Yes. Okay. So the NWA was out, and Houston, again, ran as its own, its own deal. Uh, when... When Fritz... or I'm sorry. When Paul switched over to the AWA... Uh, then he essentially seceded from the Texas wrestling office okay. because they were still involved with the NWA. Sure. Now, concurrently and separately in another part of Texas, uh, Joe Blanchard over in, is he in San Antonio, I mm-hmm. believe he is, uh, also has the idea that he wants to split off because while the Texas office has been, he belonged to the Central Texas office, every six weeks he would bring in lucha talent from Mexico. Okay, yeah, yeah. And so he would cycle his cards up like that. So he, in his mind, was doing fine without the NWA because he had his own deal. So he got his own booker, and he broke off into Southwest Sports and did that Southwest. Okay, sure. So Bosch, when he breaks away and joins, you know, affiliates himself with the AWA, doesn't get put in the AWA booking office. Instead, enters into a booking agreement with Joe Blanchard. Ah, okay. So now these guys can shift talent back and forth. Yeah. And although they're not a member of the NWA, obviously they're very friendly with that brain trust right. and have access to different things. You know. Yeah. So you know it's all shady, but this is the house of you know the house is built on sand that everything is associated right. with. And it was so, constantly that way though with Basho. Right. I mean, it kind of feels like all of his alliances and allegiances and agreements and deals with people right. were very fragile. Right. Because he spends time with Joe Blanchard, who has uh, ideas of his own about uh, crowning a world champion and going off on his own, and eventually the relationship between Bosch and Blanchard sours. Okay. 
which causes Paul Bosch to look at who else he's been successful with in the area. He lines up with Bill Watts. Ah, okay. So Houston, although being promoted, still promoted by Bosch, becomes part of the UWF loop or the Mid-South yeah, sure. loop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's, uh, that's also another area where a lot of that footage is coming out. Um, you see that there's a lot of footage available of Paul Bosch calling UWF matches. And what time frame is this, would you say? This is in the, the mid-'80s. Okay. Actually, early mid-'80s because it's finally in 1987. Well, I'm sorry. The UWF is, is running hot and heavy, and they have this huge syndication network. Right. But then the bottom falls out of that. And Bill Watts sells his deal off to Jim Crockett. Crockett, right. Paul Bosch doesn't find out about this until after it has happened. Right, and he has some plans already in the works. Again, it's his yeah. stuff is all set. Yeah. So. so suddenly he's led to, you don't have access to any of these wrestlers. What's going on here? So he's very, very upset that the UWF was sold out from under, right, out right. From under him, and he wasn't consulted with that. Yeah. So due to his past business business dealings, now aligns with Vince. Right. Vince McMahon, who's trying to take over the country. And can I just say, like, with all due respect to Paul Bosch, and I understand you're trying your best to keep this thing afloat, this one thing that you have, but it almost, and desperation isn't the word, but there's such this feel and this vibe of, uh, who he can saddle up with to kind of help his promotion. Right. Um, were other promoters around the country as, I don't know, like switching allegiances or like joining groups with different guys like this as much as Bosch was? Or was he kind of... Because to me, from what I've read, what I've looked at, it just seems like he was kind of constantly... Uh, not on the ropes, but he just constantly was like someone would do something, screw him over somehow, and then he would end up trying to find some other group right. and, and like, work with them. Well, that's just business, I'd say. Sure. But as far as your exact question, was there anybody else like this with their city, the best the best example is Sam Muchnick in St. Louis, yeah. although Muchnick was always an NWA guy. But he just seems so stable. Right. And maybe that's because he was always NWA. Well, he was also the president. So right. <laughs> not only the president, was, he's also, also a member. Yeah. Yes, I was thinking the exact same. Kyle, do you remember that commercial? No. Hair, Hair Club, Club for Men? Oh. Go ahead. You tell him about it, Jay. There was a, used to be a commercial for Hair Club for Men about guys where they would get hair. Yeah. <laughs> but, and then who was the, the Cy? Cy Sperling. Cy Sperling. And so at the end, they'd have this guy named Cy Sperling. Who would be like, you know, joints, uh, hair club for men, uh, you know, it'll make you look like a real good looking guy again. I'm not just a, I'm not just a client. I'm the owner or something. No, I'm not just the owner. I'm also a member. I'm also a a member. Yeah. Look those up. Pretty good. Anyway. Uh, So as far as the. That's our size Sperling retrospective. Well, I would say that the, the city. By the way, first off, hold on. Okay. Did you know that Chavo Guerrero was doing Hair Club for Men commercials as recently as like two years ago? I've heard that. I yeah. am a former uh, WCW tag team champion with Chavo Guerrero Jr. You are? Yes. Well, Sheboygan, right? Yes. Wisconsin, Kyle videotaped Wisconsin, that show, right? One Wisconsin championship wrestling, 
Two, have I told the Marty Jannetty story from that night? No, but let's hear it. Oh, well, no, no. We'll get back to that. Because three, earlier we were discussing Tommy Two-Tone. Yes. I was very upset because in Chris Jericho's book, he said that Chavo Guerrero's secret superhero ability was to name the follow-up hit for any one-hit wonder. Huh. So I was very disappointed when I finally met him and he did not know Quarter Flash or Tommy Two-Tone. And you were just like, fuck you. Yeah, kind of. Like this book says this. It's like, did he have okay. any other ones that he was able to pull out? Or? I didn't care about the other ones. I wanted the one, the obscure ones I thought of. Quarter Flash, their big hit was Hard in My Heart, yes. which is followed up with Find Another Fool. Okay. So they have like the three word thing, which I like. But then Tommy Two Tone was the Jenny, and then followed by Which Man Are You? Ah, very nice. Which is a decent song and may. The video may have Jim Belushi in it, like oh. a very young Jim Belushi. I almost went and saw Jim Belushi live this last spring. I could be wrong on that, fall. but the the Which Man Are You, it's it's a video with Tommy Two-Tone living in a white trash household on one side of a duplex. On the other side is the good duplex. Okay. So I think the wife and the good side might be Lorraine Newman, like Lorraine Newman and Jim Belushi. Wow. I could be wrong in that Jim Belushi, but it's a recognizable. Neighbors or whatever? The movie Neighbors? No, no, it is not. Um, Anyway, so we're getting to uh, Bosch. But hold on, before we get to this, I just got to let you know. So when I got to sing Tommy Two Tone, I got to sing the Jenny 8675 song the other week. Um, Surprisingly. It's a nice range. I think any one of us guys here, I mean, I know myself because I've already done it. I'm just saying, if you ever get find yourself in a karaoke situation, you have to perform. You might want to go with that song because it's really nice right in, the, right in our wheelhouse. I've always wanted to do Lola. Yeah, I could just, do that. Just to make people look once they realize what the lyrics are. I used to do uh, What's New Pussycat and whoa, then whoa, whoa, um, whoa. Delilah. Yeah. Because I always thought that was good. I liked mimicking the knife. She put the knife in the because she stabs him. Sure. Yeah. Okay. All right. Sorry, Paul Bosch. Paul Bosch. Um, upset that Bill Watts has sold the NWA out from under him. Yes. And finally gives in to the intense wooing that he's receiving from Vince McMahon Jr. And why is Vince wooing Bosch in Houston? Uh, because Houston is one of the wrestling strongholds. He was still looking at the city as this is a stronghold. I have to take it. Okay. You know, because he had a ready-made market for his his deal. Uh, originally comes in. Paul Bosch is synonymous with Houston wrestling. Houston wrestling can't work without Paul Bosch. We want you on our team. Blah blah yeah, blah. Yeah, it blah, just blah. really gives him the spiel. Yeah. So he's very happy about that. So Bosch now changes his TV over to Vince and puts out all of his advertising and his personal touch. The WWF is coming to this, you know, the arena. These Eerily are... similar to Black Saturday. Yes. Yes. Uh, well, just Do you wait. remember Black Saturday, Kyle? Shush. Gets into the putting, puts the card up, but then the first Houston wrestling card, there are like four no-shows and four substitutions. Paul Bosch is aghast at this because he hasn't had four substitutions the entire year for his shows. But yeah. suddenly the WWF is like, ah, here you go. So he kind con- uh, Saba Simba. Yeah, well, it, it wasn't quite getting back that that yeah. far because uh, he tries to talk to Vince again. He's like, oh, yeah, yeah, we'll get everything fixed. Next card, same deal. It's a right. very impersonal, here's the card. So Bosch decides to are get out sending, of it altogether. Are they sending any top-tier guys? 
or are they subbing all the top tier guys for? No, the no, they're. Bosch is used to getting his card set and publishing it. Right, and being like, this is what's there. Yes, but then all of a sudden, there's no shows and everything gets shuffled around, and suddenly Card Subject Exchange becomes the, the right. what is it, the standard rather than the exception right. or whatever. So he's very pissed about it, but also knows that there's no way he's going to recover any of this, so he decides to get out of the business. Before we go on, uh-huh. speaking about being pissed, are you at all pissed off that Kyle does not remember what Black Saturday was? No, he wasn't even born. No, but I mean, we talked about it on the goddamn podcast. Uh, he's what the fuck. Listen, Ugh, these you, millennials. You, no, you and I are generating talent. This is just mass. He <laughs> has to whack the slates off and post. He's playing so Candy I understand. Crush. This is all. He doesn't just, even have the goddamn headphones on anymore. Monitoring our this is sound. A, this is all just product to him. I understand. I still use him as a barometer for if I've gotten something over. If he laughs, but I've noticed he's been quiet. I can't tell if it's because of the game or we just have somber subjects. He's week. high. He's high scoring on uh, high as a kite. Good for candy, you, Kyle. Candy Crush right just now. Just wants us to leave so he can jump onto that and larger and. Yes. Disappoint his woman like no one else can. Jeez, I wasn't going that hard. What? On. Oh, sorry. We had to. I'm just saying, I'm disappointed. Like we've done. We had to know, carry it to like a, a day's worth of. Uh, I mean, hour wise, I always think about how many hours of podcasting we've done. I guess that's a lot. He's going to cut all this out because it rips on him. No, it's no. I'm not ripping <laughs> on him. I'm just saying. We're going to listen to it, and all of a sudden there'll be a noticeable jump in the tape. When Vince and, took psh- over, TBS. Oh, okay. But see, Vince, Vince took over TBS. He insinuated himself into Houston and then later broke the contract. And Bosch went on TV, though, and was like, hey, WWF, what, didn't he? Like, wasn't he? Yeah, it, yeah, like, he, was, he was He was like, like, there's, you know, we're bringing you exciting new wrestling action, blah, 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 blah. But then there were substitutions, and it wasn't run up to the standards of what he had. Right. And then he tried to meet with Vince again and say, hey, let's reorganize this. Here's how we're going to structure Houston wrestling. And they're like, oh, this is great. Give us the contract. We'll sign it and send it back to you on Monday. Bosch flies back. The next day he gets a telegram saying, uh, we're just going to sever the deal. We're not going to sign the contract. But by that time, they'd already had the TV. They already had the building lined up. They used him to get all of that. So Bosch just decided to retire at that point. In his honor, the WWF promoted a Paul Bosch retirement card. Right. Which was noted for the return of, and we've mentioned this before, the return of Hacksaw Jim Duggan after he had been fired for life following his drug arrest with the Sheik. Yes, yes. So he came back in for because Bosch requested him to be there and got his job back. That's crazy. Now, uh, let's see. Going back here, we mentioned that Nick Bockwinkle had bought into yes had bought into Houston and owned a third of it because he was going to use that as part of his retirement plan. Once the deal with the UWF happened, uh, Bockwinkle either sold his shares back or just let them evaporate. Did he do that because he went into business with a different promotion that wasn't AWA? No, it had nothing to do with that because Bockwinkle didn't care who owned it. He just knew it wasn't like it. Once, once this major booking office pulled out, 
Houston lost its investment. And that was that. But yes, and then when Vince became the major owner, he could just evaporate those shares by, you know, essentially what they did to the Gunkles is closing down the corporation and then opening up. Right. Because there was like a Houston wrestling club that ran, that was the name of the business, and that's what Bachwinkle owned. Okay, gotcha. Now, Bachwinkle and Bosch still had this relationship. Uh, Bosch also had a nephew, Peter Burkholtz, who was his essentially his Larry Matizic who worked in the office and was going to be the next generation of stuff. Um, There was still a relationship between Bosch Bosch and Bachwinkle because then when Bosch passed away, a bulk of his voluminous wrestling collection, uh, Paul Bosch had his office, but also had such great things in his office like original Houston belts uh, the uh, bronze cast of the fist of Andre the Giant. Oh wow! You know, and several different actual like wrestling museum pieces were in his booking office. Yeah, they went into the uh, went into the possession of Nick Bockwinkle, who brought them to Cauliflower Alley. Okay, and now that Bockwinkle has passed away, either they've gone to like the Cauliflower Alley Trust or have since been reabsorbed into the Bosch family. Okay. Because I know there was some some controversy. I, I'd read you know, in, in old interviews about, oh, yeah, Bachwinkle stole everything from Bosch's widow and this, that, and the other thing. Um, so so that there was some controversy there, but there was a relationship where Nick Bachwinkle was going to be an owner, somehow got the Bosch collection, and then had it on display for a while. Gotcha. Have you uh have you ever been to Cauliflower Alley? Yes. Well, I went in 02. Yeah. And um saw the the AWA inmate belt and the uh the cast of Andre the Giant's Fist. Okay. Like those were on display there, so that was very neat to see. And also at That's Cauliflower where you met Alley. Nelson. Yes. Also at Cauliflower Alley, uh Paul Bosch uh, was married married for several years. I believe his wife passed away. He then married a second woman named Valerie who had a son that was blind but a uh, piano savant. Oh, wow. Um, so he was very talented that way. Uh, so I saw him play at Cauliflower Alley. Like the son. The son of Paul Bosch played at Cauliflower Alley. Yes. Um well, it was just you saw kind of, him play. Yes, he didn't get to see it though. Ha ha! Uh, it was quite embarrassing for this. This the you thought it was Jeff Healy. No, the piano wasn't tuned properly. Oh Jesus! So like you could hear the sound waves bouncing off of each other. It wasn't. It, it was just kind of because I do have a music background. It's just kind of like oh that's that's too bad. Uh, also at Cauliflower, shut up! I know you got a joke coming, but just shut up. Um, also at Cauliflower <laughs> Alley, I was able to pick up. When Luthez's first book came out, uh, Hooker, yes. I got the original, like the the plastic comb copy, so I was very interested in that. But reading about that in uh, Meltzer's letter, he mentioned something about a an unpublished Paul Bosch book called Hey Kid, Where Did You Get Them Ears? Yeah. Which was a previous history of wrestling. Uh, that was for sale at this uh, cauliflower ah. alley, so I was very glad to snatch that up. And you brought it with you here tonight? Well, I brought it with here tonight because I wanted to show it off, and I did a little research in the book for it. Uh, it's a very good history of wrestling, which was like Thez's book. Unfortunately, it's mostly written in kayfabe. Oh, is it really? Yes. So it's still... Um, 
Meltzer had put the book over because Bosch gave him a copy to read and then told him, like, hey, you really want to concentrate on the 30s so you can see what a wild era that was and everything like that. Because Bosch was associated with the Houston office, which has such a long history, he's also noted for saying everything in wrestling happened for the first time in Houston. Sure. Yeah, you brought that up before, too. So God bless him. Because... It also happened for the first time in Portland, and it also happened for the first time in Tennessee. Fantastic. Yeah. Good job, guys. That, um, how is Paul Bosch remembered? I feel like even just listening to this episode. Uh, oh, also, uh, his cauliflower ears. Yeah. Uh, Bosch had cauliflower ears. One, his cauliflower ears were used as advertisements, advertisements for a jeweler in Houston where he had like a clip-on earring put in saying, even if an earring can make this look good, imagine what it'll do for you, stuff like that. Also, uh, it was Paul Bosch's ear that was on the cover of the Cauliflower Alley uh, insignia. That's Paul Bosch's ear. Oh, okay. That's very cool. Um, He's looked upon, I'm sure, people with respect, or, oh, Paul Bosch, honest promoter, did his thing. it makes me wonder though if behind closed doors those like the promoters the people that knew him that worked with them and that like how they I'd be interested how they truly felt. Well, I believe Bill Watts tells a story I think it's in his book where Bosch was making some noise at one time and Bill Watts just flat out said, "Go ahead and do that and I will call the athletic commission in here and tell them about the double set of books you're keeping." Ah, no shit. Like so by like Watts was in on the skim. Now I'm not not saying this makes him a bad person. It's just the game he was right, in. Right, right, right. That yeah, he was most, able to really convey this yes. image of like he paid his bills on time. Right, he was responsible to the people he had to be responsible to. Uh, never shortchanged the fans. Always delivered. Was always genial. But backstage, who knows? While he brought Prob- guys, probably skimmed the house. Sure. And the longtime rumor is that Gino Hernandez was his illegitimate son. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. Now, there are such sources as Gary Hart and others that flat out say, look, Paul Bosch had women on the side, but Gino's mother wasn't one of them. Yeah. So I don't know if they're trying to protect him or whatever, but Paul Bosch was known for... In today's society, this is going to seem wrong, but he was always known for having teenage boys help around the office now right away everybody thinks oh he was diddling him but no he just came up from hard times so he wanted to help people out so that was the interest he took in gino that was also the interest he took in the pritchards oh okay uh, tom and uh who's the guy that worked for whose brother love uh not rob pritchard uh, <laughs> Bruce, Bruce, Bruce Pritchard. Pritchard. Yeah, gonna... yeah. So Tom Pritchard and Bruce Pritchard also came up through the Houston system as well. That's um, yeah. So I think that would make sense. Yeah. Um, all I could say is it's wrestling. So right. Nobody, everybody in wrestling has something wrong with them, whether it's yeah. this, that, or the other thing. It was there ever a? And this will be the last question on this, but um, was there a singular star that came from Bosch in Houston that you can? pinpoint and look at like because you could think of different territories and places around the country that oh this person was from here this person was that was there somebody in houston that was a big star that came out of there i know bosh yeah bosh brought a paul bosh i'm saying it right yeah in my head i'm not bosh. uh 
uh, I know he brought a lot of people in, but was there anyone that he made? Was there a star, anyone specific that he made out of Houston? Not, not in the sense you're saying. Right. Be- not because like, Houston, not like a Von Eriks Because type, Houston yeah. was a city that ran every week, every two weeks. So you couldn't build up a talent having them work 50 times a year. Right. So I'd say Gino Hernandez came out of that system. Yeah. Dr. Tom Pritchard came out of that system. Yes. But Paul Bosch would have said Wild Bull Curry because he was a main event talent for 40 years right. in one city. So Even that's though he like, wasn't from there, he was just... Right. That's like Crusher-like. That's yeah. a Crusher-like main event run. Yeah. That so makes sense. It wouldn't be known to the people today, but at one time, yeah, uh, he would have said Wild Bull Curry. Right on. Right on. That's uh, Houston wrestling. Well, some and a lot of other stuff, too. Yeah. I, I mean, it's, we get distracted. We do, but I think that that's the the enjoyment of it. I think if we spend too much time just spewing facts at these wonderful fans and listeners, and we don't let them know our true personalities, they will never be able to enjoy us for the real fun people that we are. <laughs> right. Sure. Right. Sure. I don't know. I mean, it's. I got to tell you, I think uh, Houston's one of those uh, territories that I it's probably not a territory. Have, well, yeah, cities I wouldn't have thought too much about. <laughs> well, um, and the the reason we know about it now so much is that it did have its own TV and the footage was preserved. Right, and it was there, and it's yes. there, and it. it, it and that's it, the only it, reason it's, it's around now. But this was also one of X number of X number of cities or promotions around the country that would have done the same thing. Right, I think that. Um, Business-wise, it sounds like he tried his best. I mean, he ran for quite a while. What, 40 years? 40 oh, yes. Years? Yeah. It was uh, definitely a long time. Um, well, 47 to 87, yeah. Interesting also to think that when Vince comes in and when he works the deal with Vince, that why did none of these people see it coming? Especially at that point, because he had already made such headways throughout the country. Wait a minute. What do you mean, why didn't he see it coming? I kind of feel like... He saw it coming. That's why he aligned with Vince. Well, I understand. Like, he aligned with Vince, but he had to realize that the push-out was going to happen at some point. Uh, yeah, that's kind of seemingly naive on his part. So, yeah. I'm again, we're only reading his accounts and other accounts, so who knows what really happened. Uh, it has been demonstrated that Vince did make contracts with the full intent of breaking them once the system was broken down locally. So. Yeah, right, right. So, yeah, he, he should have seen that coming. Well, awesome. Brad Drake, I hope you're happy. Yeah, right? got any other questions? Let us know. We're still not going to talk about Dory Funk Jr. Yeah. Um, but, again, thanks to everybody that's been listening. Uh, remember to subscribe, rate, tell your friends, uh, tell anybody that will listen. Uh, we'd love to hear from anybody, too. Please, by all means, put stuff up on our Facebook page. Contact us. Uh, love to hear from you. Uh, anything, any last words, Derek, before we go? Uh, no, I'm trying to think of something memorable, but I can't. The, no famous Paul Bosch last lines? <sighs> anything good? In Gary Hart's book, he tells the story about he was having a booking meeting with Gary Hart about Andre the Giant and Harley Race where he was playing with a pencil. And he wanted to do an angle where... Andre bailed out of the ring, but he dropped a pencil on the ground. Then Andre slips on the pencil and hits his head, and Race drags him in. And, you know, they end the matter. He gets counted out that way. Okay. And uh, he wanted to issue the line, "How can such a small thing befall such a mighty giant?" And they all looked at him and said, "We're not doing that." 
Thanks for listening, everybody. This has been Cigars and Conversations with Derek St. Holmes Esquire. I'm your co-host, Jay Gilke. We are brought to you exclusively with Astro Radio Z, iTunes, Apple Music. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you.